0: Hi, this is Chris Date, and you're listening to the The Apologetics Podcast, episode 32. Hey, ladies. Today I am interviewing Mary Jo Sharp from Confident Christianity to talk about women in apologetics, but before we get into that, I want to share some things which have me discouraged this morning and some things which have me excited. As far as what has me discouraged, I mentioned last episode that I'm back into the swing of training to compete in my next powerlifting competition, which is coming up in June, and I've got a lot of weight to lose if I'm going to compete in the weight class I want to compete in. I said in that episode that I had something on the order of 40 pounds to lose, which is daunting enough. But what has me discouraged is that upon weighing in yesterday for the first time since December, I discovered that it's actually about 60 pounds that I've got to lose. That might not sound like a big difference, but considering that it's 150% of what I thought I had to lose, maybe you can imagine why I'm a bit dismayed. In fact, with under 120 days until the competition, I've got to lose on average a little over half a pound every single day. And even then, uh, and even though I exercised a lot yesterday, drank a lot of water, ate a healthy number of calories, even though all that was the case, this morning I hadn't lost anything, so I'm not off to a good start. Of course, I try to remember that a lifestyle change doesn't produce results overnight, and as you know, I'm a Calvinist, and so I know God's in control. Um, but still, I'm, I'm struggling a bit with feeling discouraged, and, and so I'd really appreciate your prayers. On the bright side of things, uh, a couple things have me excited. First, as I said, we're going to get into the interview with Mary Jo Sharp shortly. But before we do that, I want to share with you a brief clip from an episode of her podcast, which, when I heard it, had me thrilled that someone seems to share my passion about something. You might recall that in the inaugural episode of this podcast, I talked about the resurrection of all the dead and how much it saddens me that the modern church so underemphasizes the resurrection. So much so, in fact, that few Christians I know, uh, personally anyway, are aware of it, or at least give it any thought, and instead think and talk about heaven as the place where we presumably go when we die. Uh, you might recall that Dee Dee Warren expressed this concern as well when I interviewed her back in episode 17 and 18. Well, with that in mind, imagine how elated I was when I heard this.
1: In order to teach material that will grapple with the most difficult questions women have about belief in God, ministry leaders must provide them with a safe, loving, learning environment. Since the perfect environment for learning will only be found on the other side of resurrection— I suggest prepping your church in a couple of ways.
0: It would have been so easy and typical to speak of the other side of heaven. Uh, That is, in fact, how I would have anticipated most Christians would have spoken. But to speak instead of the other side of resurrection suggests to me that Mary, uh, Mary Jo not only obviously has her theology correct, but also that she wants to speak in a way which doesn't encourage her listeners to think unbiblically or at least place their ultimate hope in the wrong place. So I just want to give her a big round of applause for being one of the seeming few who stand out amongst the rest in proclaiming the resurrection when others would have spoken ambiguously about heaven in the way that so many Christians do. The other thing that has me excited is that over the past few weeks I've been emailing Dr. James White back and forth, and last night I was able to schedule an interview with him for Tuesday, March 15th to talk about Catholicism and authority. I've been, put o- I've been putting off addressing Catholicism directly until I could have Dr. White on the show as I can think of few apologists who can refute the arguments of Catholicism as well as he can. But I honestly doubted that I'd be able to even contact him, let alone get him to come on my show. At least not for a long time and after the podcast had grown much uh, much larger than it is. But by God's grace and with the help of a friend of James, whom I was blessed with getting in touch with, I was able to contact James and as a testimony to his graciousness, he agreed to appear seemingly without hesitation. So be looking forward to that episode about two weeks from now, Uh, Lord willing that it go on. Next up in my promo rotation is Jamin Hubner's Real Apologetics. Why can't we try hey, this is Jamin Hubner for realapologetics.org and the host of The Provocative Microphone. Real Apologetics has all of the basic goals of defending the faith and building up the church, but we give special attention to how this is done. We believe that our theology determines our effectiveness as Christian apologists. We are reformed in our soteriology, covenantal in our hermeneutic, and presuppositional in our method. So check out realapologetics.org. Do check out the provocative microphone of the Christian religion, otherwise known as the Real Apologetics podcast, by going to realapologetics.org. And stay tuned also for an upcoming episode of my podcast, in which Jamin has agreed to let me interview him on the topic of biblical inerrancy. I'm definitely looking forward to it. I hope you are as well. And with that, let's go ahead and move into today's interview. Today I'm joined by Mary Jo Sharp, Christian apologist and creator of Confident Christianity to discuss women in apologetics. Thanks so much for joining me today, Mary Jo.
1: Oh, I'm so glad to be here. Thank you. Sure.
0: Sure. Now before we get started, I managed to dig up a little bit of dirt on you. And from what I can gather, uh you were teased to no end this past weekend for looking and acting so much like Sarah Palin that you were told you should be interviewed on Fox News. So my question for you is when can we expect you on Bill O'Reilly? <laughs> wow, who have you been talking to? <laughs> I'm not going to give I'm not going to give my contact away.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's the question. Yeah, I'd like to be on the show too. Yeah. Mhm.
0: Sounds <laughs> like a funny uh fun weekend. All right. Well. Yeah, yeah. That aside. So so let's begin by getting to know a little bit about you starting with your testimony. It's something I like to ask all my guests. As I understand it, you weren't raised a Christian and certainly haven't always considered yourself one. So if you don't mind, can you tell us the story behind your conversion to Christ?
1: All right. Well, I wasn't raised in a in a Christian home. I'm from the Portland, Oregon area. And a lot of people mistake me as being like born and raised in the the South or in the Bible Belt because I have a very southern sounding name. Uh, the Mary Joe, you know, the two part name. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was raised to respect, uh, all different kinds of backgrounds and generally not to judge a person for having different views from me. And so I, I sort of had a relativistic upbringing where whatever was good for that, you know, somebody else was good for them. That's fine. And then whatever was good for me was great as well. Mm. And I, I really didn't know much about Christianity other than what I was seeing on TV, um, which was mostly a tele, the televangelists and what I saw in movies. In fact, I just remembered the other day, the old George Burns series, the Oh God series. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's kind of where I was getting my view of God. Uh, yeah. So uh, my thought, like I said, was it was nice for people who needed it, but it really wasn't for me. I was good without it. And um, I actually had a high school band director who I greatly admired. In fact, I, I was a band teacher for eight years uh, in Oklahoma. And that was what I wanted to do, and I knew that from my sophomore year of high school. And I really respected my high school band director. He actually, my senior year of high school, gave me a one-year NIV Bible, and I I read that Bible all the way through. And from reading the Bible, I was actually convinced that there was a God. Wow. It didn't. Yeah, it wasn't. What I my view of God was just really changed from what I thought I knew to after I had read the Bible. I came to understand that there was actually a real God, and I was morally accountable to this being that had created the universe. Um, but that was just believing in God. I, I still wasn't quite sure about Jesus Christ. And um, after I attended high school, I began to go to church on my own uh, while I was at college. I had gone to church a few times in high school with a boyfriend, and I'd also uh, attended a su- one summer camp. But it wasn't really until after I met my husband and a friend of his invited us to a church there in Oklahoma where I had figured out the need for a Savior, that I was um, a, a sinner in need of a Savior, Jesus Christ. And my conversion actually happened with um, when the pastor came to our apartment and asked, my husband and I were married at the time, he asked me the evangelism explosion questions. Are you familiar with those? No, I'm not. All right. Well, the second one um, of which is something about if you were to die tonight and you were actually to meet God. Uh, and he asked you, why should I let you into my heaven? What, what would you say? And I remember that question because I remember saying, well, you shouldn't because I haven't trusted Jesus. And for me, it was a very, it was a, like a logical next step. I had investigated what um, this belief in God was about and uh, I had understood my need for a savior. And so the next step was to trust Jesus. Um, as my Lord and Savior. So that, that's how I came to believe in God. It was just kind of a, a couple step process, um, throughout a couple of years of investigation.
0: Hmm. Well, you know, going from there to today, you know, speaking at conferences, engaging in debates, uh, you've got your own apologetics ministry. Uh, how did that process take place? H- after you came to faith in Christ, how did you develop this interest in apologetics and a passion for teaching it?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, within, a few years of becoming, actually within a year of becoming a Christian, um, I became involved with the youth ministry. It was really fast. Uh, and then within two years, my husband and I were leading the youth ministry. He had been a Christian uh, since he was a child. So we were we got involved in ministry right away. But about eight to nine years into uh, my life as a Christian, I began to have doubts about why I believed in God. And those doubts were fueled by a lack of um demonstrative love grace and mercy by the body of Christ
2: mm-hmm.
1: and, and that you know i being a pastor's wife it was he wasn't the lead pastor he was youth and music but um boy you get to see a lot of the ugly in the church yeah <laughs> and it it really adversely affected my belief um but now now i realize that was also that i wasn't doing anything to substantially grow in my learning and in my knowledge of god and uh, so there were two things that were really playing into that uh doubt and somehow I figured out that I should search for answers to these questions that I had these doubts and I actually began to read works uh, in apologetics even though I didn't really know I was reading apologetics works <laughs> right <laughs> I just I kind of figured that if God was real um I should find really good answers to my questions about uh his existence and uh, why the Bible would be reliable, those sorts of apologetic questions. And that's what I found. And then I thought, wow, if I have these doubts, uh, then probably others in the church have similar questions. So I began to teach apologetics in the local church. Uh, my husband actually joined me in teaching a, a first apologetics class that we did. <laughs> and then at the time, I was a band director, and I had been searching for a master's degree program in music education. Uh, Cause like I said, I was a band director. So Dude. yeah. And I, I saw an ad for Biola university's master's degree in Christian apologetics. And it's odd. I knew immediately that was what I was supposed to do. And that rarely happens to me. Like, I knew I was gonna marry my husband like the first date that we went out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I knew about Viola University I was gonna go there the first time I saw an ad for them. And that's about the two things that I could say like I knew right away. Wow. <laughs> and uh, within a couple of months that I was in that program, I was asked to speak for the first time at a conference in Oklahoma on apologetics. So um I guess you could say that the passion for this area and for teaching this came out of the search for my own answers to my own doubt
0: yeah that makes a lot of sense well you know fast forward to november of 2006 uh you created confident christianity what led you to start that ministry and and, and what's its purpose what what what's the mission of confident christianity
1: well this this question here is kind of it gives me a bit of a laugh um because confident christianity was actually created as a homework assignment from my Defense of the Resurrection course. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. it's um, We had a choice in Defense of the Resurrection to have an email conversation about the evidence for the resurrection with a person who didn't believe in the resurrection, or we could start a blog. And I thought a blog was a bit too public, <laughs> so <laughs> I opted for the easy way, right? I did the email conversation, and uh, I never felt right about that decision. Like I had taken the easy way out. And so I started the blog and the purpose originally was to put my beliefs into the public in such a way that they could be scrutinized and attacked to see if they could actually stand up against harsh criticism. Um But then I saw that the blog began to minister to people and it caught the attention of even a publisher. And I didn't, I didn't anticipate any of that. So once i began to understand that i could help more people train in the defense of their beliefs through posing my own research and through having these online debates um i realized that um well i'm going to i'm going to go ahead and go with this and it turned into a mission statement for the uh, for the, the whole ministry it would be something like to train christians in defense of the faith uh, to engage opposing viewpoints in debate and dialogue and then to continue the conversation through uh, research. Hmm.
0: Yeah, that's, that's really awesome. Um, I definitely recommend that my listeners check that ministry out, including your podcast. And toward the end of, toward the, end of the interview, we'll get uh, the links to those things so that my listeners can check it out. Uh, now, well, we're going to talk today about women and apologetics. And, and I want to begin by sort of looking at the present landscape. Uh, You know, it seems to me that both publicly and in my personal relationships, there seem to be few women, relatively speaking anyway, who are as interested and engaged in theology and apologetics as many men are. D- do you think that that's generally accurate? And if you do, can you give us some reasons why you think that is?
1: Yeah, well, I since I don't have statistics like right in front of me, mm. uh, <laughs> I can go off of only like my experience. And generally, I do see what you're saying as being accurate uh but i do see that the landscape is changing on this and uh, i now know of several young budding women apologists who are contributing to the dialogue uh some of them are coming out of biola and some of them are coming out from some other seminaries like southern evangelical um but what i would like to see is more women debaters stepping up to the plate i just wanted to throw that <laughs> throw that in there <laughs> yeah. you know people who do public debates um i want to see that as well again since i don't have s- statistics here, I'm going to speculate off of my own experience. And um, I'm going to get with the, you know, why do you think that is? Well, I think it's that partially because women have a lot on their plate with careers, family, kids, their spouses. And it's not that men don't have these things on their mind and have to deal with them. But it seems that, you know, as women made that move from the home into careers outside the home, it's like they're trying to do the very best um, everything to the very best of their abilities, like they 're trying to do one hundred percent in all areas now mm. and that that 's really hard, and that doesn 't leave them much time um, not to mention much energy for developing the life of the mind. Mm. I, I know that 's the case for me, I was trying to do it all, you know everything except really grow in my faith. I felt like that was a luxury i couldn 't afford you know the time <laughs> the Bible, yeah, yeah wow, huh, <laughs> and you can see how that led into my doubts um, and how it fueled that as well. But, um, I've seen that women are generally also another area. So like time, um, considering that they, they se- seem to think it's a luxury for them to, um, sit down and read their Bible rather than as a necessity. And, um, I've also seen that women are generally, they're more intimidated by the aspect of not knowing something and looking, I'm going to use the word dumb, looking dumb in front of the guys mm. than the guys seem to be. Um, so, and i've evident like how i'm seeing this is whenever i speak at an apologetics conference just an apologetics conference i'll get a lot more questions from men than i will from women but once i speak at strictly a women's conference in apologetics i will just have many many questions people will be asking me things um just it's such a big difference and you know another thing i can offer you is that i believe we're living in a society it doesn't really cultivate the life of the mind and the importance of critical reasoning to human flourishing in general. Hmm. So it, it it could be somewhat of a foreign concept to us. I, mean, I know we it's a concept we think we know, like we need to you know grow and we need to learn. And but I don't think we've really explored this, and it's certainly not an area we've really explored deeply in the women's ministry.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, you know i'm I'm curious with all that in mind, besides just being a woman yourself um why do you feel compelled to focus on this particular area of ministry what what motivates you' Cause, uh you know you seem to have a passion and have geared your ministry in large part specifically toward reaching out to women and why why is that what may what motivates you
1: yeah that's that's an interesting question to ask because I actually was not compelled to do so originally hmm. um my interest originally of course, was to answer my own doubts and it was in discussing the viability of belief in God with those of differing viewpoints. Um, however, there was a min- women's ministry specialist here in Texas with the Southern Baptist um, of Texas convention named Shirley Moses who, along with my husband, convinced me that the women's ministry in Texas needed apologetics. And so I was sort of uncertain that women would receive apologetics with open arms, but I agreed to work with her for a year and to bring apologetics to uh, state leadership forums and conferences. And here it is about almost four years later, and I'm still working with her. And it's largely been due to the response of the women. Hmm. Uh, So my motivation uh, is rooted in the need expressed by women in the church to go deeper in their study of God and to help them to begin to answer difficult questions that they're encountering about the faith from others and in, um, from dealing with their own doubts. I mean, they're, they're actually telling me what they're dealing with and these things are motivating me to help them because, you know, women, <laughs> that's half your church at least. And <laughs> I know that wasn't a grand revelation there, but <laughs> I mean, it's just, they have these questions too and and what we're finding is many women um in these ministries uh are not able to answer they're not able to state basic doctrines they're not able to state what those doctrines mean for themselves and for mankind hmm. you know in a, in a larger way um they want to know how to defend biblical Christianity these are women talking to me when I'm doing apologetics at a women's conference they want to know how to defend biblical Christianity they want to know how to discuss truth with anyone at any time Um, and they want to answer the questions like their kids are bringing home from their atheist friends and their teachers. So there was, there's an obvious need for the material that I was already investigating for myself Mm -hmm. to be taken into a broader field of women's ministry. And though at first I was a bit skeptical of how women here, especially in the South, would receive like this tomboy from the Northwest. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But they've been really receptive and, I'm. I guess it would probably be more about having the right message at the right time than it is really about me Mm -hmm. um, and my passion. It's so. You know. I hope that answers your question.
0: (laughs) No, it does. I I could definitely see how. I mean, basically, if I understand you, you're saying that it wasn't just that you recognized the need, but it it excited you to see that they recognized their need and that they were that they wanted uh, the kind of information that God was using you to to bring them. I, I could see why that would motivate you.
1: Yeah, it's it, and I, I'm trained as a teacher. That's my background. I have a music education background, and so I love to see people learn. Um, I really, really, lo- honestly love that. And when I saw that, that's what's exciting to me is these—they are learning, they are taking this in, they're using it, and that is really driving me um, to to help the the women's ministries get involved with apologetics.
0: Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, we're going to talk shortly about some reasons uh, that we should try to change the kind of trend that we've talked about, and some ways that we can do it. But you, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, that that you you oftentimes see women kind of hesitate to ask questions when they're in the presence of men. I, I'm wondering if if we men are unknowingly doing anything which might discourage women from getting involved in these areas. Are there any behaviors or attitudes you've seen exhibited by men in the church or at the home or wherever, which which kind of might hinder women from becoming more interested in theology and apologetics?
1: Wow, that's a, that's a loaded question.
0: (laughs) No, it's okay.
1: (laughs) Do I answer it? No. (laughs) Um, this one's kind of tough for me because my, my husband and I actually have mutually, a mutually supportive marriage, um, where we're both interested and active in each other's ministries. Hmm. He's a music minister and I do a lot with him. And and then he does a lot with my ministry. So, um, let me, let me say, so I can, I like, what I'm saying is I, I don't have lots of experience. Um, in why this is maybe a problem. But I'll say this and I, I'll say this because I don't want to get into, um, broadly generalizing where I don't actually have like what's going on. What are the statistics out there? Sure. Um, I can say that learning is synergistic. And if the men in the church or the husbands in the home, if they aren't excited about learning about God, then it's hard for the women to maintain a strong passion for learning. As well, you know, it, it can happen, but it it's it happens a lot more. Um, it uh, happens a lot quicker when both are excited about learning. Um, so, you know, the woman can be the catalyst or the spark here. She could, uh, but it and by getting involved with learning about her own beliefs. Um, but it seems to gain energy a lot faster when there's an environment that cultivates a love of learning, whether that's at church or at home. So, um. I, you know, the other thing I could say would to be really honest, um, would be to take kind of a general inventory and like an attitude inventory for the guys to see, you know, if guys would take an honest look at, at what their view of women really is. And if it's based in biblical, a biblical view that she's created by God, and she's also instructed to renew her mind mm. and grow in the knowledge of God. Um, so I'm not, I'm not necessarily sure that sometimes that is being really thought about and, and, um that uh, in the churches we're not going how can we really help the, we've got these women's ministries they're all the, you know they're set up they're there how can we really help them fulfill those roles of uh, growing in their faith you know being a part of the body of Christ that's maturing and and maturing towards the purpose of unity in Christ like in Ephesians 4 uh so you know um I don't know. I, one of the things that uh, just to remember, call women Christian first, because that seems <laughs> to be the thing in heaven that you know we're not given in marriage. So um, one of the things that's really important to her is her as a Christian first. Uh, so let's create a place at church and in the home that's conducive to her learning about her Christianity, and then creating an environment where like she can share that love with her husband and with her church family. I think that's what I would have to say on the uh, subject of what what could they be doing. Well, probably just themselves doing a check on what their love of learning is and then that, how they're promoting that love uh, amongst the women that are in the church or in their
0: home. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And, and I would just add that, you know, I think that um, uh, there there is certainly a, a biblical um, distinction of roles. But I think that as men, we might risk to uh we, we might we might take we might risk taking that role th- that distinction of roles to an extreme that isn't that isn't biblical um and uh you know th- yeah. it, it, p- peter says that um we're all to be ready to give a defense for uh is it peter <laughs> uh, that shows my peter, ignorance.
1: First, first. 315, there you go. Yeah, exactly.
0: He doesn't <laughs> yeah, say you only you men are to be prepared. So yeah, I, I, I think that's a good point as well. Now, w- one thing that sparked my interest uh, and, and that I gather has you excited, Um, in our email exchange as we were setting this interview up, you told me that you're beginning to see things change there in Texas. You said that you're seeing women's ministries getting excited about theology and apologetics and you said that it's happening sooner than you'd expect it. Can, can you tell us about all of that?
1: Uh, Yeah, I would love to answer that question. Um, As I mentioned earlier, I was highly skeptical of how women in women's ministries would receive my material, uh, this whole area of apologetics. I actually, I didn't expect that it would be so well received and that's, that's just not on them. Uh, it's not on women's ministries in general, but that's me being a glass half empty kind of person. Sure. And, uh, what I'm seeing in Texas and Oklahoma, I do a lot of work with both states in particular, is that a, a real fire has ignited for apologetics amongst the groups that I've been privileged to work with. So I've been speaking a lot on the need for apologetics. Uh that's the particular topic that has really drummed up some interest is the need for apologetics. Mm. And the response um the response is amazing. I mean women are starting to do apologetic studies in their churches. They come up to me and they say, okay, we want to do this. We want to have this study. Uh, so what do we need to do? And they're talking. They're telling me that they've been using the material and they've been talking with atheists and agnostics and people of other faith backgrounds a lot more than what they used to. And they're using apologetics in even inside their mentoring programs, where they, you know, they put a woman, uh, older woman, with a younger woman, and uh, they do these mentoring um, programs, and they're using apologetics in that. And then when I go back, like um, I go back and speak in that region again. They're coming back to the conference and they're telling me updates on all this and they're very excited. And um, I've had also the women are responding to my presentation in tears, telling me, you know, nobody's ever told me this before. And they're so thankful mm-hmm. for the material. They're thankful for things like uh, they should be asking people questions about what they believe. Um, and why they believe that they always they've always felt this burden just to bring like, a, you know, a certain kind of gospel presentation to people. But uh, they never thought to ask those people what they believe.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, they've never heard somebody say, if you don't know the answer, um, since you represent the truth about God, you, you need to say, I don't know, but I'm willing to find out. I mean, these are things that are exciting them. And I, it just blows me away because I'm talking about material on the defense of the faith. And these women are making plans to attend apologetic conferences. They're asking me for reading lists. We actually sold out of systematic theology books at one conference. Wow. It was a woman's conference. That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. And they placed orders on the the systematic theology books. Um, there, and it's, it's just not like, Oh, you're just talking about a certain kind of woman. No, I mean, it's been everybody. It's been small churches, big churches, older congregations. Younger congregations, urban churches, rural churches, Mm. rural church. I've even had one rural church as like a group with a median age of above sixty five. You know, right? And they have started an apologetic study, and they're on fire to learn more about God. I mean, it's. I was not ready for the quick response that has happened amongst these women's ministries to apologetics. So apparently, God has already been working on the hearts of His people, preparing them in advance. And for me, it's just been an unexpected and pleasant blessing to work with these women's ministries and to get them on a a path that's like committed to learning hard truths about their beliefs and then getting them on the path to challenging other people to support their views of the world. It's very exciting.
0: Yeah, it is very exciting and very encouraging as well. Um, you, you know, you mentioned uh, at the beginning of answering that question that, that the, the thing that has really struck home in, in, in these women is, is the need for apologetics. And in, in the inaugural episodes of your podcast, you discuss a few reasons why uh, why this need is there, why apologetics is so important. Um, and if you would, walk us through these, beginning with the idea that our knowledge and our understanding of God has an impact on our actions. What do you mean by that insofar as it illustrates the importance of apologetics?
1: Well, to start out with, I'm going to quote, um, C.S. Lewis, (laughs) who's the master on this, uh, from mere Christianity. Um, it's a little bit, it's a little bit lengthy quote, but it's so important. He said, um, if, if you have once accepted Christianity, then some of its main doctrines shall be deliberately held before your mind for some time every day. That is why praying daily, actually it's daily praying, and religious reading and church-going are necessary parts of the Christian life. We have to be continually reminded of what we believe. Neither this belief nor any other will automatically remain alive in the mind. It must be fed. As a matter of fact, if you examine a hundred people who had lost their faith in Christianity, I wonder how many of them would turn out to have been reasoned out of it by honest argument do not most people simply drift away. And wow. I mean, that quote really sums it up for, um, what, what happened to me when I doubted what I believed, I was just not providing a proper maintenance of my beliefs. Yeah. So it was really easy for me to drift away when the problems of life started to become really difficult and burdensome. Um, I didn't realize I couldn't live out a biblical faith that I didn't know. Hmm. Uh, because I lack the resources for doing so. So what a woman understands about God will ultimately affect her trust in him. Um, if she's doubting God, you know, she has these doubts that she has not answered. She will live in accordance with her distrust of God. That will be lived out in her life. Uh, if she trusts God, we're going to see her trying to live her life in accordance with that trust. And I do use try because I don't want to, you know, downplay the the reality of the sin nature. Sure. But but um we got to know we got to acknowledge that a woman may say she's a Christian, um but profession is part of the equation. She has to also believe in God. And that's what you see in um Romans 10:9 that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And we see this in um, Hebrews eleven six. 6, this chapter on faith. Um, there's a, a verse that says, you know, whoever would come to God must believe that he exists. You have to believe that he exists. Because mm-hmm. it's really hard for someone to believe something that has no evidence to support whatsoever. So, um, th- you know, in establishing this, Neil T. Anderson says it this way, and I, I quote this a lot to women. People may not always live what they profess, but they will always live what they believe. Yeah, uh, and It's interesting because Neil T. Anderson wrote a book called Freedom in Christ Ministries. It's really kind of a, a Christian counseling book, but he's got a lot of apologetics in there um, because, you know, the truth, the biblical truth should have an effect on our life, but we have to know it and we have to feed our minds on the biblical truth so that it's up there, so that it's in our mind because um, we're going to act out of what we believe so um apologetics helps women understand the truths about what they believe and then the very realness of those beliefs. So it, it kind of moves God out of you know, he's not just a nice story or a feeling, but he's very real. He's a real being. And this makes a difference in how a person approaches their faith in God, especially when they begin to see God as a real being who really affects their lives. And that his teaching for us becomes of utmost importance. It, it's mo- the importance, um, over the distractions of the daily mundane life. You know, we get wrapped up in all these things rather than focusing on what really is important if God is real. Yeah. So that, that would be where I see, um, that, um, the importance of apologetics really helps people get to the truth of their beliefs and then they're going to live that out that's what what's going on in your mind that's what you're going to live out
0: yeah yeah you know th- th- some might listening or some listening might be kind of skeptical uh, about what you're saying and, and others might think that that it's consciously that that our actions um reflect what I believe. But but you told a story in the podcast that I think illustrates both that what you're saying is true, but also that many times our behavior is unconsciously affected by our knowledge and our understanding of God. And, and you, you told a story about uh, something your daughter said to you after you had studied at Biola for about a year. Can you tell my listeners that story?
1: Yeah. my um Yeah, I'm not real proud of this story. That's <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> um, I, I was a band director, and I was teaching at... Um, uh, middle school in Oklahoma and my daughter was in my school district. So every day she would get, she was in, um, I believe she was a sixth grader. I'd say she's 12. She was riding the bus back over to my school, um, after school every day. And she'd get dropped off at the middle school. And, uh, she used to get in trouble a lot <laughs> with me every day after school. Cause you know, I'd had a long day. I taught a lot of classes. I had somewhere between 160, 180 kids in the BAM program there. And it was just, it was a lot of work. And so I'd be really tired and cranky at the end of the day. And she would usually get in trouble almost every single day mm. uh, for just little things. I, I don't even remember what the things were she was getting in trouble for. Yeah. And she had brought this up and we had discussed this a couple of times about, you know, I, I seem to get in trouble every day after school. And I said, well, I, you know, I tried to I'll try to make improvements and I had tried, but it was still going on. Uh, um after I had been in that biola program for about a year. Emily made this observation that um, she said something to me, you know, like kind of wincing as she was saying it. Like I don't know if I should say this to my mom, but you know, what is she going to do in response? Right. Because apparently, I'm kind of cranky. Yeah. <laughs> um, she told me. She said, "You know, mom, I've noticed that you are not as petty as you used to be." Wow. And here I'm looking at this kid. And I'm going, I didn't know she knew what petty meant. <laughs> <laughs> and I was trying to think, you know. Wow, I mean what what's she getting at? And she said, Well, it seemed like it seems like you kinda got figured out what's important. Like you got your priorities in order. Mm-hmm. And I don't get in trouble near as much as I used to. And I thought about that and I thought, well, what is she talking about? What what has changed? I'm still in the same job, I still have the same burdens, everything, you know, it's still what I was doing before. The only thing that had changed in my life is a year of studying uh deeply the word of God and reasoning out what I believe and dealing with the arguments for and against God's existence. And what she had noticed is that had begun to change me and it had begun to outwork into my actions. Um, and like you said, somewhat without me even noticing, right. I wasn't even noticing that that's what was going on. It took my daughter to point it out. Um. That was, that was really, wow, uh, kind of like a wake up call for me. Like, wow, this really does affect my actions.
0: Yeah. It's definitely a very uh, powerful illustration. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that you shared that with us. Now, uh, in, in your podcast, you, you said that the second reason apologetics is important is because it builds a foundation for trusting in God. In what ways have you observed women struggle with trusting God and how can studying apologetics increase that trust?
1: Well, women are struggling with all sorts of issues, uh, but many of them are based in a lack of knowledge about who God is and who they are in God. Um, they struggle with the problem of evil. You know, how can you profess that God is perfectly good when there's so much evil and suffering in their this life? Hmm. They they struggle with trusting God with uh, family members who have said that they left the faith, Um they struggle with self-image and don't trust that God has really created them specially and with value and purpose. Um, so, and living in a secular culture that worships youth, idolizes sex and money, uh, it doesn't help them in developing this trusting relationship, um, with God. So yeah. what apologetics does, it provides a probing look into some of these hardest questions that our secular culture does throw at belief in God, and it provides solid answers for them. Um, it also gives them history about how we got how our culture arrived at this point and it, it aids in the development of their critical reasoning skills so that women can actually analyze the arguments that they hear from their friends and family. They can analyze the situations in which they're involved in these problems, even though they're hurting emotionally from them. Yeah. And um, you know, once women have these reasonable answers to their questions and doubts, that gives them a, a working knowledge base of these basic doctrines of the faith. Uh, including God's attributes. And, and I think that they become more comfortable addressing the issues as they come their way. So, um, oh, and, and it also helps to provide them a basis for more of an honest self-assessment, uh, one based in core biblical truths rather than on cultural norms and the, and the Freudian and naturalist psychology <laughs> of the past. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that's, that's what I would have to say is that, um, apologists can really increase their trust because they're really getting at the core of why do I believe in God and what am I basing that on? And that really does provide you a confidence once you can articulate that and you know what that is for yourself.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, and you know, one of the points that you made in your podca- podcast, it really resonated with me, uh, was that many who are somewhat lacking when it comes to the kind of trust and knowledge that you're talking about, they, they struggle to reach out to others with their faith for fear of seeming socially awkward, um, or, or or for fear of being challenged, you know, intellectually, or, or whatever it may be. How have you seen the study of apologetics transform women in these ways?
1: Well, this seems kind of like obvious, but um, women are changing. <laughs> mm. I actually, like I said before, I I I get the reports back when they come to another conference that they are reaching out to people um, and they are asking other questions, others questions about their beliefs. And women are beginning to understand they need more than just a soundbite in response. Um, you know, like, Oh, I don't believe in God. I just, you know, I trust that science, I trust in science and those sorts of things where science will answer all of our questions. They're, they're expecting now, wait a minute, I hear that. But I need you to evidence that. I need reasons for that. Yeah. And they're starting to stand on what they believe and say, hey, here's what I believe. Now I need to know where you're getting what you believe from. Um, and that's exciting. It's very exciting because now we're cultivating Christians who are holding others responsible for their beliefs as well. And that's good for mankind in general. Uh, when you foster an environment of learning. So that's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing women start to get, they're gaining confidence in their beliefs. And they're gaining, when they do that, they're gaining the confidence to to be able just to talk to people, um, about truth and engage them in these discussions about, wow, you know, you're a Buddhist. So how did you come to this point where you, Believe you know, in Buddhism, where you're a Buddhist. How did you so you're a Muslim? Why do you believe that Allah is God? Why do you believe that Muhammad is Prophet? They're getting do that now and they're comfortable doing it.
0: You know, one of the things that really, that I think is really cool is, is I've noticed that, um, you know, I've been married for uh, a number of years now and I've noticed that women, they do a lot of things together as groups. My wife does bunko and zumba and she goes and hangs out with women and, you know, all, all kinds of things like that. And, and these are areas in which men aren't going to have the kinds of inroads that I think women do. Um, you know, w- women are going to be talking to each other on a level and with a, with a degree of openness that maybe they wouldn't with, with other men coming and talk to the, talking to them. So, so to see women, um being encouraged to reach out to other women in, in these ways I, I think is is really powerful and it's gonna open up new new doors that weren't necessarily open when it was um primarily men who were doing it, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. And it's definitely true. And I mean if it, we can get women just discussing issues um, cause women can talk. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's what I, I'm, I'm like, I'm writing on this right now. The women don't have a problem with discussing almost anything, politics, kids, shopping, um, you know, activities, fellowship activities, uh, sports. They don't have a, you know, they have no problem with this stuff. It's just this one area that seems like we haven't really quite broken into real well. And, um, just training them to be confident in what they believe and then giving them some, you know, questions to ask people uh about what they believe and to be able to engage in that. I think it's really giving women enough confidence to go out there and just say, hey, I could talk about whatever with people and, and it might lead back to God. And it usually uh many times it does because we're pretty people are pretty opinionated. You know, women, we're.
0: <laughs> we got our opinions. <laughs> yeah, no comment in case my wife is listening. Um, <laughs>
1: yeah, catch it for that one. Some women would be like, "What are you saying, Mary Jo?" <laughs> yeah, right.
0: Yeah, no, that's good. The, one more reason you gave in your podcast why apologetics is so important is because it's an area of our minds with which we should be willing to worship God, but maybe often aren't willing to give up in that way. I mean, can you explain that for us? Is, is this is this perhaps typically a challenge more for women than it is for men? Well.
1: I'm not sure if, the, if you know, if you were talking about a challenge maybe for women more so than for men on this, I, I'm not really sure if it's more of a challenge for women, um, because I don't really want to offer any excuse for why God's creation is not actively pursuing deeper knowledge of him. Hmm. You know, if, that, if that makes some sense there. Sure. Um, you know, I don't want to say, well, women don't have this capacity because I think they do. I mean, God's given us minds with rationality and we have the ability to think critically as part of being made in the image of God, um, Yeah.
0: Well, just to be clear, that probably came out wrong. I I certainly didn't mean to suggest that that, uh, physically speaking, you know, uh, uh, it's a challenge. I'm just wondering if there may be any societal factors or or anything like that that might that might um, make women less comfortable or or, or less likely to um, pursue this area of their mind um, that, that that men maybe don't struggle with as much something along those lines.
1: See, that's, that's interesting. I, I, I'm not sure, um, I, I could posit some things, and I, I know there's been a lot of, uh, works written on this, but probably between the 1960s and to the present. Um, but I was just, I was raised differently. I was raised always just to pursue, um, learning and to go, you know, as deep and far as I could go. So, um, I'll, I'll kind of comment on the, the, this why we should be doing this. Sure, if that's sure. alright with you. All right. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, in, and like I was saying, you know, I, I don't really focus a lot on women as a woman as much as I do as a Christian. And the reason for that is I think her womanhood works out from, you know, her Christianity, who mm-hmm. she is as a Christian. And that's very important emphasis. I think that's putting the emphasis in the right spot. Who are you as a creation of God and a worshiper of God? And um, part of that is that you've got this mind that you've been given, this mind by God to think critically. And we are neglecting at times to develop that critical thinking. Um, and thinking well, and women need to know this, thinking well brings God glory. Yeah. Uh, just like other aspects of our being should be used for his glory. Thinking poorly is not glorifying to the Lord. And I, I don't know... It, maybe we just have focused a lot on the emotional or the the needs aspect of women's life within the church or, um, I, I'm not sure, but I, I know that telling a woman that thinking poorly is not glorifying to the Lord has been something where women, to me, they go, wow, I, I didn't even think of that. I wasn't, mm. I, that's not on my radar. Now, I don't know necessarily why it's not on their radar. Uh, maybe as a society, again, we're just not really, um, conducive to that, and boy, you just watch television, you go to the movies, and even how women are portrayed today, and in, uh, in this somewhat like post-feministic society, they don't really portray women as these really critical thinkers. I know mm. they do on some shows like Bones or whatever, but I don't watch a lot of TV. So. <laughs> yeah. But um, generally, that's not something that they they stop and and really um, spend some time in. It's like, wow, if I think poorly, that's not glorifying to God. And some people try to. You know, they kind of laugh it off or they justify reasons for not actively developing their mind. And, uh, but we just can't get that from the New Testament, uh, at all because Paul rebukes people for childish thinking.
2: Oh, yeah. he,
1: he rebukes Christians for that. And, um, first Corinthians three, two, you find that in, in Ephesians four, 14, everybody is admonished to grow in the knowledge of God to avoid being like a child that's tossed to and fro. Um, and then you go back into the Old Testament and, and knowledge, Proverbs uh, 4, 6 through 7, not just knowledge, but wisdom, the application of that knowledge uh, is to be sought as an, as an ultimate thing above all things. So um, I, I mean, my response would just be just, I don't think it's on the radar as much. We're not really, it, that's kind of a philosophical argument. And since philosophy is not heavily studied in the schools, logic's not really studied in the schools. I just don't think maybe it's on the radar. And so I'm trying to put it on the radar for uh, women's ministries.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Well, let's shift gears a little bit. You've given us some really good reasons why uh, men and women should study theology and apologetics. And what I'd like to do now is talk about how we can go about implementing apologetics in our churches, and in particular women's ministries, where perhaps maybe it's missing more often than it is for men's. Uh, in another episode of your podcast, you discussed three steps or goals for implementing apologetics in women's ministries. And the first is to establish the need. What do you mean by that, and how can we go about doing it?
1: By the way, that what do you mean by that question is one of my favorite questions.
0: <laughs> well, I learned it from Greg Kokel, right? So.
1: <laughs> yeah, actually and I that's one of the things that I teach women to ask, you know, what do you mean by that? Don't assume things. Don't assume what the person's saying. I just had to throw that in there. No, Plug but, for Greg.
0: <laughs> I had him on my show. It was a, it was a real pleasure. But anyway, oh, he's,
1: yeah, he's so gracious. Okay, well, I will answer your question. <laughs>
0: sure.
1: Um, since this area of women's ministry is basically new, Uh, like you were saying, we have to first establish a need. And generally, it's a good idea to emphasize the importance of having a ready defense of our Christian beliefs. So we're able to talk with anyone who asks about our faith. And you brought that up earlier with 1 Peter 3.15. Um, so, but however, it's also important to emphasize role apologetics plays in the transformation of their life and becoming more like, you know, Christ-like and the things a woman you know, emphasizing the things a woman habitually thinks about are the things that guide her actions. Uh so I we discussed this a little bit earlier about how our knowledge and understanding affects our actions. Right. And that, you know, if a woman what a woman understands about God will ultimately affect her trust um or her, you know, if she has those doubts it'll affect her negatively and she has the living out the distrust. Um so for um Let's see. Implementing apologetics in women's ministries. um, Some things that you can do are to just establish why we need to go deeper. Uh, in the faith and and why it is that women need to go deeper. And we've discussed actually a lot of things today in the interview about that, about um, women being confident in their own beliefs, which leads to confidence out in the world, um, which leads to the, um, them evangelizing more or, or talking to people more, as well as being able to interact with their own family members and the questions that are coming up. Uh, and then, I also, I make sure and emphasize that there's just no way out from the Bible of, um, you know, I don't really have to learn. I don't really have to grow in the knowledge of God. I'm good. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's no way out. And and the thing is, I saw in my own life the negative effects of that uh, when I started having problems um, with my belief in God, fueled by Christians not really uh, living what I saw as grace and mercy of God in their lives. Um, and that all came together in like just a storm, mm. <laughs> you know, it's the perfect storm brewing there. So uh, really emphasizing uh, that it's not just like this. I know we, we create a false dichotomy with this whole head and heart knowledge thing, yeah. but <laughs> really emphasizing that it, it's about the, developing the whole person and becoming more Christlike. And that this is needed in our time and place in history because we are so heavily attacked by our secular culture. Um, I mean, they're even redefining what the term faith even means. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, I just really think for women who are going to live and survive in this culture, we need to show them how important this is to their life on a day to day basis, as well as to their Christian life and the development and what the Bible commands them to do. So that's establishing that part of the need, um, for, you know, the essential doctrines and the church history and, philosophy, which is really all the things we've been talking about in yeah. tactics, you know, and discussing the faith.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well once we've established this need uh in women's ministries, um the next goal that you mentioned in your podcast is to create an environment um where women feel comfortable and safe, uh asking questions, discussing the issues they find challenging. What can what can we do to create and foster this kind of environment?
1: This this is great because this is a really important um part of Bringing apologetics to women's ministry—that whole part about comfortable and safe—I don't mean that they shouldn't bust out of their comfort zone, that they shouldn't value truth over comfort. But as they're, you know, trepidly seeking the initial stages here of, you know, do I really want to do this? Do I really want to go deeper? Um, they've got to feel like it's okay to ask questions. They've mm-hmm. got to feel like um, I can ask these questions here, and people aren't going to look down on me, and people aren't going to make fun of me, and uh, that's just really important. Because um, a lot of women do feel like they should know these things by now. Why don't I know these things by now? Well, you know, a lot of them have, have careers. They're trying to you know, bring income into the household. A lot of them have uh, responsibilities with their children. Um, and that just takes up a lot of their time to where they haven't had this uh background in and they don't know these answers. So we got to make sure that they understand they're accepted and that these questions are welcome. So what we can do for that is definitely, I don't want to downplay this, but pray for the spiritual transformation of your local body of believers. Mm. You know, pray for maturity in Christ according to Ephesians four, 13 pray for the unity of the believers uh, that, that you see Jesus talking about in John 17 in verses 21 through 24. Pray that they will rec- their minds will receive the truth. Um, pray that they'll have a willingness to learn, to renew their minds, like Paul's talking about in Romans twelve two. Pray for these things. And then, um, another thing that can be, do- like, okay, so I'm, I'm got it bathed in spiritual, you know, in, in yeah. prayer. Yeah. I bathed it. And when that's I- what I see these women's ministries doing. They're bathing these sessions before I come in and just prayer. Then, uh, survey the body of believers. For the most important topics to them to address. Uh, Find out what the questions are, you know, amongst these, these ladies. What are the questions that they have? Um, are people asking them on the topic of the problem of evil? Are they, are they engaged in the, the evolution debate? Uh, What, what is the issues that are really interesting them? One thing that they can do is distribute some surveys based on a list of issues that they come up with and hand them out to people. And then they can have people check what interests them. Okay. Have them like rate them on the importance of, um, these issues to them. And then you can assess the results and, and your ability to teach each of these areas and then teach on those issues. And that, that will help gain a first interest in apologetics because you're directly addressing what people have told you they're interested in. Uh, so that's really, that's like a practical way to get kind of that started. Mm. And then, um, for you, if you're going to be the one, if you're going to be the the leader in this area, that you prepare your heart and mind, um, that you need to be open to constructive criticism and you need to be ready to question people. Uh, when people say things, you need to be the one that's ready to go, well, why do you believe that? Or, you know, what do you mean by that? The Greg Kokel tactics. Um, and then you need to be the one that's excited to learn among along with the women in your church uh, and show a... This is so important right here. It's to show a true concern for the spiritual growth of the souls that God has entrusted to your leadership. Yeah. That is so important. It's not about just doing stuff that you're interested in. I mean, it's really about a burden for these people to grow and mature in the body of Christ and to be able to give a reason for the hope that is in them. So that's really important in this whole aspect of... Um, preparing for this and for um, creating and fostering this kind of environment uh,
0: that's really good there, there are two practical questions that come to mind though for me and and, and um, I'm wondering what you think um, the first is do you think that it makes a difference whether or not it's a, a, a man or a woman that's, that's sort of, uh, facilitating, um, this environment that we're talking about. And the second question is, do, do you think that, you know, in cases where churches don't necessarily have a specific women's ministries or, or, or anything like that, do, do you think that it benefits the group to have it be, you know, just women, at least for women that are just beginning to get involved so they don't have the kind of trepidation that you, that you're talking about where they, where they where they fear raising their hands and asking questions in front of other men?
1: Those are really good questions um the first one, I think that practically speaking yes it, it is a little more comfortable for them to have a woman with them that 's uh, doing these sessions um, and obviously that woman um, needs to be um trained and needs to be engaged herself with um the pastor and you know asking questions herself because not everybody has like a biola degree or a seminary degree that's going to be doing these sorts of things so um, i do think it's important that it's a woman but i also think it's important that she has accountability to other believers in the church for what she is teaching mm. uh, does that make sense on I, that yeah absolutely Okay. Um, I do you know, I don't want to, I, I believe in accountability for all of us that we should, that's why we've been given this great body of believers is to check our ideas out against each other. Um, so that we get closer to biblical truth. Um, so that's always important for me, but I think the woman would make them feel a little more comfortable. And sure. that's what I am seeing. Um, when I go and speak at these women's conferences, is they will ask me, um, all these great questions, but I don't see, like I said, I don't see it so much when I involve the men in the same environment. um, but, uh, benefit, the benefit of just having a woman's group, well, that's, that's it again. Um, once, I, once I get out of a, a high school or a college setting, wh- the women there, they're fine. They'll, the young ladies, they, they seem to not be as trepid about asking questions. So, um, it's the older groups. It's the women who have been married and have children. They seem to be the ones that really, Need this safe environment to ask their questions. So, so if they don't, if you don't have like a women's ministry per se, maybe just a small group to where you can get together and you can get excited about learning about these things. And um, I think you know women have a camaraderie with with each other that's different from what they have uh, with gentlemen, and that's important in fostering this love of learning as well, uh, because they feel comfortable around each other. So uh, that if you don't have a women's ministry, just maybe having a small group or even a couple of people who are like-minded and have this fire as well. So that's, that would be my answer to those two questions.
0: Yeah, that, that's good. I appreciate you answering those. So, so let's say that now we've we've established a need, and um, we've got some interest, and in, in, you know we have uh, we've created an environment um, where women can feel safe in the way that we've talked about, and where we have an idea of the kinds of things that they're struggling with. You say at this point that the third step is to find or create a study. Uh, it might, might seem obvious, but you know, uh, can can you give us some suggestions for either existing studies that women's ministries can use, or or advice for creating a study in cases where churches want something a little more uh, tailored specifically for the needs. That the, that the church has uh, determined from the surveys.
1: Yeah, and there are some, um, there are more apologetic studies available that you can find, you know, by googling online. And um, but I would suggest a couple of studies that I've encountered are the uh, book "On Guard" by William Lane Craig. Uh, it's set up for a Bible study, if, to be studied by a group. And I think that's a great place to start. Um, I really strongly recommend Tactics by Greg Kokel. And I believe he has, if I've checked this right, <laughs> if I've got this right, he has a online study guide for that that you can go to um standorreason.org, Str.org, um and you can find that. Uh Tactics by Greg Kokel. I think that's really a good place to start because it shows um that you don't have to have this huge seminary background um, in order to just talk to people about beliefs in God. And it gives them a good way to draw truth out of other people. And that's something I think women need to encounter is how to draw truth out of others for these discussions. So maybe using the book Tactics along with his study guide. Uh, the other one that I suggest for uh, specifically, now I'm going specifically for women's ministries on these last two here, this Tactics and also, um, on the reason for God by Timothy Keller on the reason for God. Timothy Keller has put out a, a, a discussion guide to go with his book. And that's awesome because his book is so good uh, at, at introducing people to the subject of apologetics. I mean, Timothy Killer's a pastor and he wrote it with a pastor's heart. And I, it's the book that my mother says to me, you know, the other books, they're good. Gr- they're good. Some of them are hard to understand, but that book I get. Mm. I like that book. So uh, I recommend for women's ministries that maybe even starting just a small group of you together to do the reason for God. You can even do it with a big women's ministry, uh, reading through the book yourself as a leader and developing questions based on each chapter. Uh, that would be good, too. Over the last three years, I've done most of my own writing for material for my uh, church, for lay level instruction. I just take a, a subject and I research it myself. But more and more materials are available, like the Truth Project from focus on the family, um, when worldviews collide, they can do that. The case for Christ by Lee Strobel, um, the theology program um, by Reclaiming the Mind Ministries. That they have some great material. Just need to go look at them. Um, I believe they have boot camps in doctrines of the faith and things like that. So, uh, and they have collections of CDs you can buy. And then one one older collection that I absolutely love. Um, and it's designed for a small group study, or for you can do it for larger group study. Is the old Faith Under Fire DVDs? Oh yeah, by, yeah, the, the group discussion kit that comes with that by Lee Strobel. That's great because they get to, to watch both sides of the argument debated out, you know, on Faith Under Fire, and then they have some questions that they can answer. So those are a couple of things that I suggest for uh, if you want to get a little more tailored. Um, definitely, you could use a book and design your own study or you can use these uh studies that are currently out there and available.
0: Yeah. Those are really good. And and, and by the way that faith under fire kit is is also available from uh STR, I believe. I, th- I think I just heard it on the advertised on the most recent S- uh uh STR podcast. So yeah, yeah, that's great. Good stuff. So one last question before we wrap up. Um even if churches and women's ministries follow the kinds of plan that we've, we've talked about and they, and they implement apologetic studies, it obviously doesn't guarantee that the ladies are going to sign up. And so is there anything else that we can do? I mean, obviously we can't guarantee, but is there anything else that we can do to get women motivated and excited to participate in apologetic studies at, at their churches? Uh, how can we ignite the kind of flame that you're seeing there in Texas at the women's conferences that you're going to?
1: That's that's really good um, to point out. Um, yeah, definitely. You know, like I said, expectation-wise, I didn't have much expectation. So, um, you know, you can't always guarantee what's gonna happen. But when God's in something, you know, He does what He wants to do with it. It's the Holy Spirit at work there. Uh, so recognize who's actually in control, number one, and that's God. Um, but put it some, pra- you know, practical reasoning here. Put it before the congregation. Um, emphasize it. Talk about apologetics in your church. Uh, be excited about learning yourself. Be the model. Be the one who is uh, very excited about the material. That is very um, catching. It, it's it's infectious in the church when you find somebody who's excited about these things. Um, then find those pe- people who are already prepped for this. Uh, Greg Kokel actually likes to say, I think he says it, find the dry tinder. Hmm. And then those those are the people that will help you fan that fire into flame. Um also, I want to emphasize that, you know, bringing the material to a digestible level, translating the harder concepts to people, um, you know, who haven't maybe been in school in a while, that's important, too. And, um, you know, I deal with this a, a lot myself. You know, should I throw these things in at a high academic level? Should I, I put them at a populist level? Well, you know what? We've got to introduce people somewhere. We have to introduce them to the concepts and create that desire for them to go deeper. So, um. You know, bring them to a level, translate the material to a level that's uh, deep, it's solid, but it's digestible at the uh, lay level. And that will help people once they have a little bit of success in these areas, uh, that will get them excited to go deeper. Uh, there's so many things, uh, Chris, that we can do. There's so many things, you know, hosting Q&A events at your church. That's something that always gets our youth group, our youth group swells in its size whenever we do just an open Q&A, you know, ask us questions that also encourages the believers because they see good answers to all these questions. Yeah. One, one thing we did was host a summer series in apologetics for the women. So when we don't have the, um, you know, the regular Bible studies going on, the, 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 uh, discipleship courses, the, the regular year long ones going on in the summer. So we did a special series called heart, mind and soul. And we did apologetics topics with just all the women. And it was great. It was well-received. Um, and, you know, maybe even get a crew who, you know, are those dry, tender people and take them, grab them and take them to an apologetics conference near you. Yeah. Do a road trip. <laughs> How fun would that be, you know? So those are some of the ideas of, you know, igniting the flame. Really, I'm going to put the onus back on. If that's your passion, if you're excited about apologetics, put it before the congregation, emphasize it, and then be excited about learning yourself as the model.
0: Yeah, that, that's really good and speaks to me. I, I don't know that... um that the, the leadership in my church is, is as passionate about it as I am. And I'm hoping that maybe, um, you know, I can, I can ignite that kind of flame and, and go before them with some of these ideas. So yeah, I appreciate those, appreciate those. And as, as I bring interviews to a close, um, what I like to do is I like to give my guests an opportunity to leave my listeners, uh, with a parting message. What, what would you most like us, uh, to take away from this discussion today?
1: Yeah. Wow. So like the big, the big grand idea. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> A um, couple of things. First of all, that uh, women are excited about apologetics. Uh, women do want to go deeper. They do want to have these answers and they're demonstrating this to me wherever I go. So uh, we need to be sensitive to that and and just start really giving them this information and really pushing them um, to dig deep into the scriptures, to dig deep into theology uh, because it's very important for them if we want to see change in people's lives we have to start at the individual levels and diagnose the root problem which is go back to why do your people in your church why do they profess belief in God uh, have they asked themselves why do I believe in God and really hit that question home because um, that for me is a transforming experience to really know what it is you believe and and why you profess to believe it
0: yeah that's really good well, so uh, where can my, my listeners go to find Confident Christianity, your podcast, your blog, debates, all that various kind of stuff that you have to offer?
1: Oh, great. I get to plug my stuff. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, my website is uh, confidentchristianity.com. It's just one word, Confident Christianity, no capitals or anything. Uh, same with my blog. My, uh, my blog is maryjosharp.com. No capitals. I'm um, just MaryJoSharp.com, and I don't have an E on the end of the Joe.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: I'm a lady. There's no E there. <laughs> um You can also find me on YouTube. I have done some debates. I have two debates with Muslims. So if you type in my name, maryjoesharp, you can find my debates. Um, I, I'm on Facebook. Uh, there's, we do a lot of ministering through Facebook. We have a Confident Christianity page on Facebook we also have a debate forum called Two Chicks Apologetics, and that's chicks, C-H-I-X, and it's the word two, T-W-O-C-H-I-X. And then, uh, I'm on Facebook, so you can friend me, <laughs> and, uh, you can talk to me there.
0: Great. Well, I definitely recommend that my listeners check all that out, and I just want to tell you thanks again so much for, for talking to me today. I really appreciate it.
1: Hey, Chris, I've re- really appreciated being here, and I appreciate what you're doing to encourage, uh, women in this area.
0: Now, I don't know if you were able to tell, but Mary Jo and I had to battle some major and repeated technical difficulties, and I had to do a lot of editing to put it all together. I hope that isn't too readily apparent and that you enjoyed the interview anyway. I know that I very much appreciated Mary Jo's insight and advice, and I'm going to be passing it along to the pastoral staff of my church, asking them to listen to the interview. And I'd encourage you to do the same if, like me, you see the need for women to become more interested and engaged in theology and apologetics. So, thanks for listening. And stay tuned for the next episode of the The Apologetics Podcast. Until then.